Welcome to Grizzle Pod, episode 11. Got Scott Willis, Tom George, we are Grizzle. Welcome, everybody. This is the place you come to learn about the markets and to learn how to be a better investor. You came to the right place. And some trash talk, too, Scott. Don't forget. Oh, yeah. That's what Grizzle specializes in. So trash talk to go with the stocks. Oh, man. You know what? Trash talk's got to come from the heart, right? And it's uh, this week we had uh, had some opportunity to uh, trash talk mega. (laughs) Some trash talk laying the smack down. Uh, We'll we'll tell you more about that. I have to say, Scott, that's where I I feel it most at my zen. I really do. (laughs) <laughs> when you talk about people being in the zone when you're trash talking someone that's when you're in your zone you're in your uh, place oh uh, totally but you know what you can't trash talk without good data and uh we are fortunate to have wide charts be the power of the the uh the platform that powers grizzle up so that we can shoot the we can shoot the laser rays knock yeah, people exactly. out I, I love a lot of different uh things that wide charts does so if you're curious about them just check out whitecharts.com and you'll see the power that, that we use every day awesome uh scott let's lay it on them what's the agenda for today oh man it was a busy week if you were following grizzle we're gonna take you bring you some of the greatest hits and talk about uh, what matters so number one we got to talk about commodity inflation it was still on the rise we're gonna touch on two uh different commodities in particular lumber and copper there's a bit of a different story between the two so i think they're interesting because not all commodities are created equal and then we got to talk about danimer scientific grizzles conviction call there was a short and what i'd call distort report put out Definitely distorts got yes distort. a lot more distort than short yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we we uh we laid the smack down we're going to tell you more about that and then we did get news that uh, the current president, Biden, is thinking about changing capital gains taxes by quite a bit. So what really matters is do capital gains changes up? Do they matter to the stock market? We're going to tell you. And lastly, our Wednesday uh, article, Stock Safari on Substack, we are, you know, we hit on a different growth industry every week with that. This week was crypto. So we're going to take you through that if you missed it. Uh, you're going to learn a lot more about crypto if you haven't really been following that closely. So that is it. Ash impact. Buckle up, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So let's kick it off. Commodity inflation, Scott. It's uh, everyone's a lumber expert. Every, you know, everyone's building a deck, Scott. Every, everyone's got. You know what? You never realize how important lumber is until you don't got it. Yeah, or until you're uh, paying five times as much for it. Right. It stings. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's as, uh, as someone who bought just a little, like a little board of wood, and had it in a plastic bag, and it fit like halfway in. And they were making some video that went viral. I was like, only when lumber is going to the moon, I guess. Oh, is, is that somewhat entertaining? Oh, geez, man. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, in, in we always talk about the historic levels of money printing, the Fed, and all of this sort of stuff. And, you know, one thing that wasn't a feature uh, the last time, the last go around and, and through the global financial crisis when the, when the central bank stepped in was real, like, you know, inflation across the board. And we're seeing that now, Scott. Yeah, this is this is definitely unique. And I, I actually saw some good data last week. There was there's a bunch of ways you can kind of get ahead of consumer price index, which remember is a basket of goods that we buy every day. There's different indicators that tend to lead that. And so those indicators, if things come in, if CPI is as close to those other indicators as they usually are, it's looking like CPI could hit 5% this year. And if you look at what uh, bonds are pricing in, they're pricing in less than 2%. So the market's not prepared if inflation hits that level. And as far as looking at commodities, it's picking up. Every week we see commodities kind of going up. So uh, lumber and copper are both going up. But I think you got to differentiate because lumber right now. So this week on Monday, lumber hit like I think it was a 40 or high or something like that. Like so to give you some perspective, lumber is usually around three hundred dollars uh, a cord foot or whatever the measurement is they use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it it's a hit, bizarre it, measurement. It's like yeah. like who talks like that? <laughs> Only lumber guys. I guess. <laughs> yeah. But so this uh, lumber prices hit thirteen fifty on Monday. So uh, we're we're in a whole uncharted territory. But the thing is, this is a shortage brought about by not enough sawmills cutting enough trees down during COVID. And then now we have all time we have new highs in housing starts. So there's a lot of demand for wood. Um, and then those sawmills are catching up. But there's more than enough trees. 
So it's not the same as another commodity where there's actually like a real shortage and it takes years to bring a mine up. That's right. These sawmills are, are spinning up. New ones will be built. They'll catch up eventually. So this isn't one where I think there's a lot of a, a long-term gain in the stocks. The stocks have gone up a lot. If prices go up more, they'll keep going up for a bit. But the second prices start going back down, and they could be soon because there's more than enough trees out there. It's but So lumber is one thing. But then when you talk about just getting started for a commodity, I think you got to talk about copper. Yeah. So, and, and Scott, just just sticking on lumber for a sec there, you've looked at some of the names, uh, West Fraser, et cetera. You know, there, there, there's a um, – Yeah, there's, there's like a group of four or five. Yeah, there's a group of four or five. What 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 What's going on right now with valuations there? Is the, you know, so obviously Grizzle is taking the view that um, you don't chase this. But uh, Scott, you want to talk a little bit about what's, what's happening with the valuation of, of these stocks? Yeah, there's something interesting going on. Uh, usually when an industry, you know, like whatever they produce, when the price is going up a lot, the market seems to get more excited. So you have their earnings go up, but also the multiple that people are willing to pay. Remember, a stock's price is how much it makes times the multiple. You get the stock price. So the earnings go up and the multiple goes up. You get a double whammy in your favor. I looked at these different uh, lumber stocks and the multiple is not going up at all. So that what that tells you is investors know this is a short-term phenomenon and they don't believe at least, you never know what's going to happen, but they don't believe that this is sustainable. So they're just saying, oh, you're going to make a dollar more? Well, then a dollar times the same multiple gets me a higher stock price. I'm not giving you any credit that your business has changed. Yeah, do you know? In, it's funny, right? In, in commodities, very cyclical, and I, I just think lumber's just never seen anything like this. So you you are getting. I would even argue that you're starting to see exuberance. So what typically kind of interesting that happens with commodities, especially as they moon, as lumber has mooned, what you end up seeing is mar- uh, is is uh, multiple compression, Scott. Right? People, you'll actually see the the you know you'll see the multiples compress. So be like, oh, this is you know, like, you know, you'll, this will be cheap. Right. And, and only, you'll only get confirmation, you know, you're, you know, you're too down. It's one of those things, right. Where you commodities will trade at extreme valuations at, at the bottom, you know, when they're not making money, but lumber's never had this crazy cyclical thing. Like the, like it's never moved like this. It's just, no, so it's it, it feels a lot like a short squeeze. And I'll, I'll give you guys a quick rundown on uh, what happened. So when COVID hit, everyone was like, oh, man, we're going to recession. Nobody's going to be buying houses. And so all the guys who order lumber, they cut their orders. But then it turned out with all the stimulus and, you know, people just were stuck at home. They really wanted to do stuff at their house. They wanted to buy new houses. They wanted to move out of the city. So then there was all this demand for wood, but sawmills can only make so much. So then we got kind of short. And what happened is pricing quickly went to like a thousand dollars remember it's at 1300 now so a lot of these builders they said i'm gonna wait it out it can't stay this high forever and then i'll buy my wood but then we get three months later six months later they have to build that building because they've sold it to a retail person and they they need to you know put up basically so then everyone just recently has rushed in buying lumber at any price because they got to get it to finish the house so that's what's called a short squeeze a rush for a lot of times it's rush for the exit. This is a rush to buy, and they're not price sensitive. So we're hearing that you know this is the beauty of Twitter. We follow this guy who's a cash lumber trader. I love this. I love this uh, platform. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah. So he's just laying it all out, and he, he said it feels like a um, a little bit of a squeeze. Yeah, it, it's you know yeah wait wait to build that deck if you, if you need to do it, just take a pass. You know what, well, whatever. It's, yeah, uh, just, just wait, wait a year. It'll sort itself out. Uh, yes, demand for new houses is very high, but uh, they, they're going to figure it out. I mean, with prices like this, sawmills are, uh, I heard they're like kind of making their entire market cap in cash like every year at this rate. So, you know what will happen, Scott? I'll give you a little, my little ESG twist, right? It, 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 so, right now, I believe there's some sort of collusionary activity. Can't prove it, but there is. Um, I got some data that may back you up, though. <laughs> but so let's just say this is happening, Scott, and, and uh, you know, prices are staying high. What ends up happening is now the Amazon starts getting cut. You get fresh slabs from freaking crazy forests. You're like, I've never seen shit like this. Of course, because high prices 
basically make you go everywhere, right? And then investigation starts, say, what's going on? How's this ever happened? You know? And uh, it's the ESG house of cards for the for the Canadian guys. That's how it all yeah. breaks down. It could be a mistake for the Canadian guys. I don't know. Like, what, what if they cut supply and then prices go up and the U.S. guys just start planting massive amounts of trees and then they take some of their business away longer term? Yeah. It's risky. Yeah. Risky stuff. I mean, we've seen in the data that uh, more of the trees are coming from the southern U.S. than Canada compared to historically. Yes. So it could be some of that. For yes. sure. So let's talk about the one we like. So so don't go chasing lumber. goes no. without saying. You're going to um, see it on the news. You might have seen it already. That It's probably done. If CNBC is covering it, uh, don't go investing in it. But copper's prime, Scott. Cop, copper Ooh, is prime. Cop, copper hasn't seen it stay in the sun yet. No, That's no. It's, like. it's just getting started. Um, it's central to so much uh obviously infrastructure scott we get we got uh biden's excited about that kind of stuff right yeah i mean so copper generally you know you got your copper pipe and your copper tubing and all your houses but then what what's the game changer now um you know as we talk about like the green revolution and what that means for copper what's the biggest driver of new demand would you say from that that green theme yeah, so it's it's across the board, right? Everything from renewables to Goldman Sachs actually had a had a report out last week, um, and just saying, listen, it's it's the entire slate, right? It's EVs, it's renewables, it's like coppers, and in all of it, right? That's a good point because at the end of the day, it is kind of a theme on electrification, and like copper is one of the best conductors, so you need a lot more copper. You need a lot more copper, and it, like yeah, you know what? I think I I think I've got the exact numbers here because they they talk about you know where where they're coming from in terms of you know where where this growth will be, but it's um yeah, so they're saying uh, EV is is the huge chunk. So uh the, you know that's so basically Goldman's uh, projects a green demand for copper will rise three percent in twenty twenty uh from. from so green demand for copper. So this is all you know, EV, wind, solar. Right now, it's three percent of total copper usage. Yeah. They say so. That's twenty twenty. They say that's going to rise to sixteen percent by twenty thirty. So that and that's going to be driven uh, primarily from the growth of electric vehicles and uh, the solar market. And you can throw wind in there as well. But wow. uh, but it's uh, th- those three and, and EVs the biggest chunk. Uh, but solar's not that far behind. Like those are the you know EVs. Solar and wind are going to uh, are going to basically transform the demand of copper, you know, to this massive new chunk that's barely three percent of the market today. Yeah, and then, and so I mean, you know that market well. You have all this new demand come on. Is it quick and easy to bring on new copper supplies? No, no, it's not. And if, if for any, everyone listening to the pod, uh, we did copper, the king of commodities. Um, that we did a great episode there. I think, I think that was on YouTube, right? If you if you just go to our channel and search like copper king of commodities, we have a bunch of charts on there too. Um, that that'd be a great primer if you want to know why we love copper so much. And Scott, we did we also did a summary on the website as an article form as well. Ah, it was, true. It was yeah. So we, we've done. So you can go to grizzle.com, find that there. Uh, basically, everything we're talking about. But bottom line here is, we think um, it copper is tight. It's hard to find. Uh, it takes it takes a while to get, get to get new mines online. Um, it's everything's pointing to this being a, a very solid setup. Um, two copper Ooh, the most important part. It's an inflation hedge too, and it's an inflation hedge too, Scott. So it's all there. Um, two miners that we highlighted from the Copper King of Commodities was Sierra Metals and Hud Bay. Uh, Sierra Metals, uh, we've we've highlighted this. I guess now it go back quite some time, uh, middle of last year. Uh, it's done incredibly well. Uh, you know, it's you need need to pick a piece. Just high level here, Scott. Uh, small and mid cap copper miners trade at half the multiple of their large cap peers. So the way you want to think about that is there's a clear opportunity here uh for an MA boom in this uh in this market you want to position yourself for that so we'd recommend owning small mid cap miners and you'd want to be finding value names there so you're already finding value in the small mid cap space now if you could find extreme value uh finding the names that are the cheapest in that uh in that bucket then you're well positioned so we think 
copper miners uh, continue to be an important piece of a portfolio for uh, for uh, people to have. For anyone listening, the beauty here is that, remember, Tom managed over a billion dollars in commodity funds. And so he knows this industry well and how these uh, cycles play out. So this is a great nuanced view you're getting where when copper prices go up a lot and these big guys, they want to obviously produce as much copper as possible. It's cash flow heaven. Well, it's hard to do that. You need to start a new mine that takes years. What's easier? Let me just buy someone else who's half my multiple who has copper that's being produced right now. So that's what we're playing. You find the guy who's set up. They're not going to, and you, and they need to be operationally somewhat savvy. You don't want them to have a mine that just they totally mess up in the interim. That's not not fun for every, anyone. But when you're, if you see cheap multiple, they have production now, uh, and they're they're just a smaller guy who operates fine. There's a higher chance as pricing gets hot that the big guys will buy them out. Yeah, And we yeah, like yeah. that play versus buying the expensive big guys now who can't really ramp up supply that much to take advantage of higher prices. Yeah, that's, that, that's it, Scott. And, and you know, what, the, the way you see these things work, um, the, the way you see these things work is the front part of the, you know, just the, the early, the early push in the, in these stocks, you'll see the large caps get bid up. Uh, just because that's just where the money will flow, liquidity, etc. And then, uh, and then you see the real run, which is in the small and mids, and that's like tremendous. And we haven't seen that, right? Like Sierra had no. a very good week, um, but for for this one, you know, fifteen percent is is not what you're playing for in no. some of these names. No, and and they, they've had a phenomenal year, but it's still we're just getting started. Uh, like you know, the the free ports of the world are are. Um, you know, they're losing steam, right? As they should. Yeah. So, uh, so, so make sure, you know, if you have a, uh, ESG tilt, the, et cetera, and, and, you know, so just by way of background as well, you know, I ran, um, I ran ESG at, at TD asset manager, the largest asset manager in Canada, um, started their first environmental sustainability fund. Uh, in 2007, so I know a bit about this, and and I'll tell you um, the bedrock of 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 ESG, and as you think about the sexy side of this, EVs is the metals, and, and uh, you know most people don't want to talk talk about it, think about it, because that you know it's not the you know it's it's not the glamorous side of you know whatever Elon's doing, but let me be let me assure you this: uh, the money the money that can be made on that side, uh, and how vital it is to actually making all of you know uh, all of the ev dreams come true is incredible uh incredibly strong and and uh on a risk adjusted basis scott i don't you know um i look at the plethora of ev stocks out there um a lot of them very dodgy and i look at these very solid mining companies producing free cash flow uh with real assets scott and I, you know on a risk reward basis i don't see anything that comes close no Say no to Neo and yes to Sierra. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, like you know, you can shun you can shun the EV space and look. You know, and there may be a time when you get back in there, but I, th- I think you know, on a risk reward basis, uh, looking at the electric metals makes a ton, a ton of sense. Yeah, you always make the money in the less uh, obvious part uh, trade, and so it's very obvious to say, "Oh, these cars look really hot. Everyone's going to buy them." It's less obvious to say they have batteries. What's in the batteries? Let me let me dig a little deeper. Exactly. So that's what we've done here. All right. So that was lumber and copper. Remember, not not the same. No. But now we got to talk about the big news. We are just sitting around having our nice coffee, our Danish Thursday morning, and then what hits our desk? This short and distort report. On our conviction call, Dan was scientific. Yeah, dare who would dare? <laughs> you know, I was like, what, "What's going on?" You know, all of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh, Jesus!" Right? And uh, you know, we we've seen this rodeo a few times, and and uh, the short and distort. Uh, so I'll start with the just some key points because I think it needs to be made, Scott. There there are um, act characters out there, and and so this short report is by Ben Axler, Spruce Point Capital. You know, um, and I you know. Quick scan through his history of stocks, Scott, that he has had short reports on, just to get get you a flavor of his track record. Canadian Tire, since he released his short report, up 42%. GFL Environmental, it's up 71%. Carvana, it's up 512%, actually. Um, Dollarama, up 52%. So he puts out these weighty reports, um, and what is clear, his modus operandi MO is to 
he creates these reports just to create the panic, get the stock down on the one day, get his like 7%, you know, basically he's short, uh, stock goes down 7%. So he's, you know, him and his network, he, and these th- short sellers work in a network because he'll come, he'll say, I've got this thesis, I'm going to release it X date. Um of shorting into the date of releasing on X date, but just to cover his own ass. And, and you know, this is how uh, these short sellers work. They'll tell their friends, their cronies and say, listen, I was shorting here. So he'll get additional pressure. So what you see prior to the short report being released is you'll see this pressure on the stock and everyone's like, what's going on? And what it is is short sellers in there pushing down the share price. Um, putting, putting those trades on, uh, getting ready for the release. Exactly. And then, the report gets released, you know, they, they're targeting retail hands, uh, which, you know, making them weak. And then retail lets it go. Shares are down, whatever, you know, it's down at some 10% or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the number is. They'll then end up just, you know, exiting their short position. And on the first day. On the first day, Scott, and then they say this thing that this stock is worth nothing. It's down one, uh, we, uh, downside to zero, 100% downside. These are very inflammatory statements in the sense that, okay, you know, you're basically suggesting the whole thing is a fraud. Or, you know, if you're saying something's worth zero, you're, that's effectively what you're saying. And this happens over and over. We saw this with Afria as well, like $0 share price, but no real talking about it. When when anyone comes up with a $0 share price, that tells me immediately it's a red flag that they're doing this just to create the shock, the awe to let the let the share price get maximum damage on the day of the report. And then after that, they just basically close their positions, goodbye, and the exit stage left, and they never, you know, kind of just, you know, walk into the dark. And and so you get this history of share prices that go up like this. So one thing that we're talking about here, this is – so the SEC has something explicit against pump and dump, Scott. Very common in the penny stock world where you get these, like – shitbag promoters pushing these penny stocks making people bag holders they you know pushing the stocks up they they leave and the share prices come down yes they they say the stock's going to the moon but they're actually selling to you as you buy it up Uh, and then the stock goes back to where it was exactly so that this is very common if anyone's in uh any of these chat boards twitter etc there are these furus out there this is their game they're they're pushing these penny stocks on people uh saying oh listen i got a hot one here they've loaded up prior boom and then you know and and there's a good reason why the followers never have the same return profile as the leader as the furu as the guy in the mansion with no freaking furniture um because it's 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 all you know it's all it, it's set up for for their followers to lose, which is you know, and the SEC you know theoretically they've they've gone after these pump and dumpers, but in the short side, Scott, what we're seeing is this is a reverse pump and dump. Uh, yeah, so it's the, it's the same thing, exact same thing. So one thing we're advocating for is if these guys genuinely believe in what they what they believe in, Scott, then in terms of share prices being worth zero, then shouldn't they have their position? Uh, shouldn't they have their, uh, y- y- they, they, should- they should have to disclose what their position is during this whole thing. Exactly. Just so, just so investors have all the information. Okay. You're saying it's zero. You're saying it's a fraud, but you sold your shares a day after your report or the same day. Well, then exactly. do you, cause then, then I can make a decision. Well, does he really think it's a fraud? But That's why right. why don't they have to disclose that information? That would make people think a bit harder about doing this, the putting these things out. If you're not going to actually, if there's not real fraud, it's not just about scaring investors for one day and you don't care what happens to the stock. You just, you, you won because you scared them for that four hour period or whatever it is. That That's right. And, and these guys are bottom feeders. Uh, you know, I, I can say that with absolute certainty, Scott, he's just here to clip his 7%. That he got on the day or whatever, right? Um, you know, whatever, whatever shock and all he got out of it, and it's a scumbag move. What, so, you know, the bottom line is, I said, listen, tagged him. I said, listen, I'll fifty thousand dollar bet. You want a hundred thousand dollar bet? Put your money where your mouth is. That this is a zero dollar share price because that's what you're saying in one year. Like, if you really believe it's a house of cards, then put it put it in for one year and and uh, and see what happens. Right? It's going to be near zero, right? So right. you'll be happy. You'll be happy and, and no reply. You know, this is what this is scumbag material. This guy, like, you know, but 
that the hedge the hedge fund community short sellers are filled with these guys and there are a lot of these um uh holier than thou uh short sellers who just, you know etc who you know say you know they're they're on some sort of mission from Christ or whatever you know clean up the world but bottom line is they never call out the Ben Axlers of the world you know why Scott why because they're participating with him yeah yeah right? if you can make money you're not going to you're not going to uh, choke off the golden goose no, like, like, you know, I really, you know, I obviously I have a lot of respect for Chanos and, um, uh, Muddy Waters. And yeah. And all these like guys, but, but they never are calling out this kind of scam shit in their own, in their own little circles because they, you know, they feed off of it too. All these guys are such frauds, you know, yeah. at, at you, you just core, need to think about it. Remember the track record that Tom went through every, like most of these get this guy's shorts when he says it's going to zero, it goes up a lot. So if he actually was holding playing that it would go to zero or go down a lot, his fund would be closed by now. So this is how you know that that's not actually what he does. He just puts out the report, says it's zero, because it has to scare people. If it doesn't scare people, it won't work. So it has to say it's a fraud or it's zero. So he doesn't say it's a fraud, right? Because then you can get sued for a lot that's of money right. by a company. So he doesn't say that. He, like, so There's a lot of thinking going on here. He just says it's zero because a retail investor who doesn't know the stock very well says zero. Oh my God. He gets a 7% on the day. That's why he's still in business with all of his shorts going up a ton. Yep. Scott, you nailed it. And so I think this is a critical preamble. Uh, we did a, uh, episode one, episode two, uh, our stream got cut off midweek. So go to YouTube. You can get the full full details there. I'd say episode one is good to understand how this short and distort works. Episode two is I go through what he said are the problems and why we don't we don't really care. They That's don't worry right. us. And Scott, could you highlight just a couple of key points there? Obviously, you guys can go to YouTube and watch the details there. Episode two has the meat of just, you know, our rebuttal to this. But again, you know, you have to understand the character of this dude, uh, the character of the scam, which is it is what it is. uh, Short distort. I'd say basically what he tried to do is say uh, you can't trust management. They're not trustworthy. And, you know, we never really trust management. We don't want to just blindly trust anyone. You want to see, remember, actions speak louder than words. So we want to see what has management of Danaver done. And they've done some very impressive things. They've signed up big customers, which other companies that have tried to make the type of plastics they've done failed to get customers and went bankrupt. So they did that. First ones to do it. They've... Uh, they're building a bunch of capacity and they have that contracted for like five years from now. So at the end of the day, if they're doing those things, I trust that they can execute because they are executing. And then he just went into, okay, no one's ever done this before. So it'll never be done. That was basically his argument. And it's like, okay, well, the science is already commercialized, meaning they have a product, these plastic pellets, they're selling it to Pepsi. They're selling it to Mars. It's already happened. They've been doing it for a year. So he's just, again, trying to scare people to be like, because no one ever done it. It hasn't happened, remember? So before we had a coronavirus vaccine, everyone said, no one's ever done it. And now what do we have? We have a coronavirus vaccine, right? So that's just a very weak argument with nothing under it. So as far as these reports, usually are looking for them finding out that there might be fraud, like a, a Nikola. They, they found out that uh, the CEO had an unworking, a non-working truck, and he pushed it down a hill and said it worked. So things like that are concerning. Nothing like that is in here. It's just, okay, don't trust management for these random things that they said five years ago, and then no one's ever accomplished this before, so it won't work. We're in Danimer because no one's ever accomplished it. If they get this right, the market is absolutely massive. Think how much plastic we throw on the ground and litter and goes in the ocean, they could replace a big chunk of that. That's why Dan is a conviction call for us. So this, uh, this, this report uh, doesn't change anything from our point of view. No. And, and the other big part too, is like uh, Pepsi, Scott, Pepsi, basically uh, that, that was like a couple days, like a day before earth day. Uh, they, you know, they tweeted out saying, listen, we're, you know, we're thrilled about, you know, what, how our partnership with Danimer can change the world. Um, you know, you know, our plastic, uh, you, you know, how, how our products, uh, you know, you, the waste associated with our products. It was profound, man, because you're they're basically saying, listen, we're, we're, we're backing Danimer 100%. Yeah. That, that says something, right? Because Pepsi's massive. They have a lot of things going on. Like Danimer's a little fish to them. They, they hope this works out and that they can start really like Danimer ramps up and they can replace all their plastic bottles with Danimer products. 
but they don't have to go out of their way and tweet Danimer and we're partners and all that stuff. But they did it to support Danimer because they saw the price was going down and like everyone was like, why, why is this happening? So they just want to say, yeah, we're still partners. We're still buying their products. We hope to buy more and more every year. Yeah, That's what you want to see. Yeah, Scott, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, on our Discord, on a Grizzle Discord, one thing I was saying is, you know, what a game changer is going to be that day that I pick up, you know, an M&M's or whatever um, at my grocery store. It's like, yo, this this thing will biodegrade. It's from Danimer. It's like that is going to be that, you know, that those kind of things happen. Those are the catalysts. You're like that real. Yeah. So if you guys want to kick the tires, uh, they're working with Mars to make Skittles uh, wrappers that that are the new ones that biodegrade. And I think those are coming out definitely this year. I don't know exactly which month, but look out for those. They'll probably look a little bit different. They might say an insignia on them. You can test them out for yourself. These are the ones where, okay, heaven forbid you're out on the ocean, you're sailing, it blows away in the wind, lands on the water. Well, you're not going to choke a little fishy or or a turtle this time. It's going to biodegrade, and that's huge. So all these people nitpicking about Danimer, whether it biodegrades in 12 months, 18 months, three years, okay, as long as it's less than 400 years, like typical plastic, it's better for the planet. We need Danimer. 100%, man. And, and, you know, those Skittles packages before cannot be recycled. The recycling itself, you know, you, you need to go into a recycling facility to, to actually see uh, how much is just – it, it's not it, it, it's a feel-good thing for the most part it really is you know if uh you know uh the best thing to do flat out is to reduce yeah though i mean we got to do something about single-use plastic so uh we need companies like Danimar. uh and this report didn't change anything for us this is still you know one of one of our favorite stocks yeah, I think uh, they they you know share prices rebounded um from you know from the from the, the distorted distort lows. I don't think we'll hear from Ben Axler anymore. He'll be on to his next little uh, his next little report of like thousands of pages just to shock it all. And there you go. And then a lot of red. That. He had a lot of red underlined letters. <laughs> he really <laughs> likes terrible. that. Terrible. It must be part. Of, you put a lot of zeros. You highlight them in red. There you go. And then you're go- Then you're on the next day. It was too bad I never even got to meet him. He was already gone. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, uh, so what's next, guy? Uh, so that that was our rant on Danimer. Now we got capital gains taxes. So big news there: the market didn't like it that Biden's thinking of changing the capital gains tax. When you sell a stock, uh, if you've held it for a long time, usually you pay twenty percent. He wants it to be forty percent, as long as you make over a million dollars. So it's only for people making a decent amount of money. But what will that do to the market? Tom, I guess you looked into this a little bit. If it historically is have increase in capital gains tax rates had a negative or positive effect on the stock market? Yeah. So just pulling up the chart here. Um, no. <laughs> Short answer is no. So no. So this is a uh, from UBS uh, Securities. Um, so they did they did a study looking back uh, all the way to 1969, 68, 69. It's a long long period um, where they looked at the correlation between capital gains tax increases or dis- decreases. And the change in the S and P five hundred, right? So you know, looking at to see if there, you know, if that impacted uh, the stock market, uh, the correlation there is basically zero. So they're basically showing no, there is no correlation. I.e., um, they, they, it, it's irrelevant. Um, I, and- I, I mean, I, that kind of makes sense, right? If, if I think of corporate tax rates, that actually impacts a company's earnings and cash flow and everything like that. But this is kind of unrelated. It's the companies. And they may pay out some money or you make money because the stock goes up. And then you have another decision, a personal decision to make. So I can see like it's kind of removed a bit. Maybe that plays into that. The the correlation or the relationship is, is so weak. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I had a tweet and the line was just, you know, even with higher capital gains taxes, flipping houses and stocks is still infinitely better than owning bonds. Few understand oh, this. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I, I just throw, Ex-bonds. Yeah. I don't know. Anyone who's been watching the pod, we had a whole episode on why we hate bonds and they're dead. Oh, yeah. So and they're still so, dead. Nothing's changed. Nothing's in episode changed. So, 11. so, bottom line is people are still going to have to need returns. And it is what, you know, just, you know, it, it's the news. It's the news flow of the week, but the the quantitative data says it matters nada. Um, and the reality in the market today, what is what are your other options? Nada. So, you'll, you'll keep flipping stocks. You'll keep flipping bonds. Yeah, sorry, you'll, sorry, you'll keep flipping stocks. You'll 
keep flipping houses. We're bullish on both. And you'll keep passing on bonds. You, you saw that the market kind of realized this because it went down hard when this uh, news kind of leaked and then it ended the week higher than that. Yeah. So, Scott, what was curious here, which is a little bit, you know, it kind of just shows you how how prima, um, uh, how just just young the crypto market is, obviously, is how badly it broke crypto stocks. Yeah, because when that happened, I thought it must be some type of news on regulation came out because that's really the big. Yeah. The big the big scare for the crypto market, they're always like, oh, man, if we get regulated by the U.S. government, it's going to be a problem. I thought something came out on that, but it turns out we can't really find anything, right? Hey, you haven't seen anything. No. So there was there, there was obviously, I think the, there was some news floating around that it was going to be an 80 percent uh, capital gains tax for crypto specifically, which is crazy. Like, who, who knows? But but that ended up being a to- that ended up being fake fake news um but but needless to say you know that almost was its own uh reverse pump and dump for crypto you know like if if a news story like that you know got fake news story like that got some traction and basically you saw a dump on on bitcoin below 50 uh 50k and then everything else puked puked uh yeah that's just the volatility of bit you forget in good times and then the bad times come and you're like Oh man, I think it's one of these things you have to say when Bitcoin has gone from 14,000 to 63,000 in a short period of time, there's probably some people who are just in it to play the price. They don't, they're not holders. They're not like long-term Bitcoin believers. So maybe they get shaken out. They see it down 5%. They're like, I, I don't want any part of this. So yeah. that can explain how it can move down on what turned out to kind of be fake news. Yeah, and you know, all things equal, we can uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into a little bit, but um, uh, in our next uh, in our next uh, uh, section here. Uh, but uh, bottom line is is that um, if you don't have a position in, in in crypto Bitcoin, now's the time that you know start nibbling, right? It should be a part of your asset mix. We think it makes a ton of sense, uh, preservation wealth and all that, Scott. That's uh, it's critical stuff. So d- don't be too worried about capital gains tax if they go up. Anyway, if you're making a million dollars, good for you. You got to pay more taxes, I guess. Yeah. But there's ways around that too. So this, the stock market is going to shrug it off. And I mean, we've been talking about crypto already. So why don't we get into Stock Safari? If you guys yeah. don't know, Stock Safari is our weekly article on Substack. What we're doing is, so Grizzle, we were founded because we believe that growth is the future. You want to invest where there's growth. The Old industries are not where you're going to make your money so you can retire, uh, happily retire. So we've identified certain sectors that we think are growth sectors. Each week, we're going to take you through one of them, explain what's going on, why you should be interested. And then we have a screen with some proprietary different factors, and it highlights to us some stocks that look interesting within that sector. So you get to learn about a new growth sector. You get a few stocks that we think look interesting, kind of a place to start. And we'll give you a list of other stocks in the sector. So it's a very helpful way for you to figure out things you want to buy if you're having kind of like writer's block or investor's block. And you know what? I'll I'll say this, Scotty. You know, it, it's been it's it's been a lot of fun for us. I, I think doing stock safari is something we've obviously done um, among Scott and I, just you know, as investors and as a team at Grizzle. But you know. Putting, uh, you know, you know, doing the weekly segment, it, it just, you know, just really, it, it's, it, it's a good process. And the, and the, the other thing too that's been really fun is that we do a, um, we do basically a huddle on, uh, on YouTube where everyone comes in, brings new insights. It, it really is what it's about, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I, I learned a ton from our crypto uh, huddle, uh, stock safari huddle. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, so I mean, we'll take you through a little bit of what we covered there. I would recommend you just check it out. It's it's a pretty uh, easy read, some good data on there. Number one is you you can't be buying any of these crypto companies, whether it's an exchange or a miner or anyone that's not or a coin, unless you have a view on crypto as a whole. So you need to you need to start with all right. What do I think about Bitcoin, for example? If you think Bitcoin is going to be flat or up, like we do. Well, then that's why you'd be buying all these other stocks. If you think that there's we're going into a bear market for crypto, none of these stocks are going to be able to go up because they're so levered to the, the value of the tokens themselves or the coins. So you really have to take a view first. And so when it comes to the price of Bitcoin, 
what's going on here is you have this interesting model that a uh, crypto investor came up with in 2019. And it's kind of become gospel for the crypto market. It's called the stock to flow model. And it works for other commodities too that aren't consumable, like gold, ones that can't be burned, like oil. It just says, as the supply of something goes down, it becomes uh, more scarce and more valuable. So the price goes up. So this guy looked at crypto. And if you don't know, the way Bitcoin works is you have to uh, mine it by solving an equation. And as a certain amount is mined, the uh, how hard that equation is goes up. So it becomes harder to mine, less Bitcoins mined every year. So as you think of the stock to flow, there's less supply and there's the same amount of uh, inventory there. And so the stock to flow, it becomes more scarce. The price should continually go up. And there's a limited amount of Bitcoin. There will only be, I think, 21 million mined at all time, at, you know, of all time. And that will be it. And so what happened is recently, I think it was in 2020, there was a halving, meaning it got harder to mine. So Bitcoin got more scarce technically, and then it went up. Now, the thing is, there's reflexivity in stock markets. That just means if everyone thinks something's going to happen, they can will it to happen or it, it will happen. And so if everyone's looking at this model and following it closely, even if it doesn't really tell you anything, it can still work out. Because everyone's looking at it, making buying decisions based off of it. Yeah, and Scott, I, I'd say this, you know, for for specifically as it relates to say um, commodities or you know just just even uh, currencies, right? You want you know these these are esoteric things. You know, you're when someone says, "Listen, I, I figured figured something out," um, and if if the if the price of the underlying starts to follow that, you know, what the model suggests and and uh, there's not a lot of pushback. You, you get into this tight band pretty quickly. Yeah. So it's it's that model uh, has been very good at forecasting the price of Bitcoin. But there's one piece missing to this model. For people who don't know, they might look at it and just say like, oh, if the model says Bitcoin should go to 100,000, it'll go to 100,000. You need demand. Just because the supply of something goes down, if demand isn't there, there's no reason the price has to go up. So we looked at demand too, and demand is very strong for Bitcoin and other coins. As you expect, the number of Bitcoin wallets is going up. And then also, more importantly, if you look at the, the big wallets, the ones that hold lots of Bitcoin, the number of those have gone up a lot in the last six months. And that's coincided with a big increase in Bitcoin as a whole. So if you have you know a certain amount of Bitcoin, we're mining less and less every year, and demand is growing, more and more people want to buy Bitcoin. That's a great situation for Bitcoin going up. And what gets people excited is the stock to flow model says that Bitcoin could hit a million dollars by 2026, I believe. And where are we now? We're now back below 50,000. Yeah. So that's very enticing to many. And so far, it's been working for, uh, I want to say, nine years at this point. That model's held up. So very interesting. But yeah, so yeah, for sure. And once you have this background on Bitcoin that, you know, it's constructive, then you can move to stocks and all that other stuff. Yeah. And I think the other critical thing here is, Scott, is the store of wealth aspect, right? So just talking about the the, the coming back to that point of, of demand and wallets increasing, well, you know, what's causing that demand to increase? The, there's a plethora of different reasons, but one is store of wealth. And I think that is a critical one, a critical one for Bitcoin and, uh, you know, digital gold, if you will. Uh, and it really is taking a lot of the shine away from gold, um, physical gold. And, and that is, uh, that's causing trouble, right? And, and that I think is one of the, you know, as more and more people um, accept that Bitcoin can be an alternative. Uh, or, or something that you would hold in parallel to gold, uh, it, re it you know you really start to dislocate some of the incremental money that would have potentially gone to gold that would now be seeking Bitcoin. And and really for one key reason, Scott, you get way more torque owning Bitcoin. Uh, and oh, you know we didn't mention there's there's a demand aspect from people outside developed markets that's pretty powerful too because yeah. remember bitcoin anyone can buy it around the world you just need an internet connection and if it's a store of wealth that means it holds its value so if there's inflation in a country all that means is so your bread costs one dollar one day the next day it costs two the next day it's five that messes up the whole economy 
And if you keep getting paid in your own currency, while bread is going up exponentially, while you're losing your purchasing power, what you can do now, anyone can do this, they can put all their money into Bitcoin and that'll preserve that purchasing power and kind of save their savings. And that's never that's never been done before. That's never been an option. So you're seeing that in African countries, South America. So there's a part of demand because this is kind of given uh, the non-ruling class a way out if the government is really messing up the economy. Yeah, very very powerful stuff. Like you know, I, I whenever I see you know headlines like Tur- Turkey trying to shut this down, et cetera, I think that's incredibly bullish for- and incredibly hard for them to do. They'd have to shut down the internet in the country. That's right. So you know, when when you see these uh, countries that um, that take liberties uh, from their uh, uh, you know from their uh, the, the governments that uh, are taking liberties uh, from their population, you know, this is a uh, um, and and they're they're trying to shut down Bitcoin. That's incredibly bullish for Bitcoin. Incredibly. Yeah, yeah. Bitcoin is really digital gold. It's just capturing the imagination of lots of people. And so you got to remember, if you're waiting into crypto, very volatile. It goes down 60% regularly. It also goes up a lot. You just need to be prepared. So as you think about how much money you want to put in, just think, okay, if tomorrow, if these things I bought are down 50%, can I hang through or am I going to get scared? Uh, so just go into that. Uh, but I mean, the, the upside is is pretty big, and we've seen how big the upside can be, and how quick it moves in all sorts of crypto coins and companies related to the cryptocurrency market. Yeah. So, Scott, you want to give your quick three shots, and then, it, it, guys, if you want to follow up and look deeper, look obviously check out uh, Stock Safari. That's Grizzle dot Substack dot com. It's our foray into Substack. Yeah. So there were three stocks this week, and we did something a bit different. They weren't all stocks that we actually like. There was one that uh, looks interesting. There was another one that's kind of a honorable mention. And then one that we saw through Twitter. So we wanted to start digging because it seemed positive. Once we looked under the hood, we said hard pass from us. So number one is the one that does look very interesting, Voyager Digital. It's a uh, broker. If you want to trade Bitcoin, if you want to trade a bunch of other coins, they're one you'd go to, just like a Coinbase that recently IPO'd. The thing with them is they are free to trade, but they charge a monthly fee. Coinbase charges a fee every trade you do. So Voyager should, in theory, be cheaper. Uh, depends, you know, what how they end up uh, clearing your trades. There's a little bit of nuance there. But the way they bill it and the way it looks is that they're a nice, cheap, kind of free-to-play alternative to Coinbase. And they're growing faster than Coinbase. Their number of customers is up from a smaller base. They're a much smaller company. But also I've heard that the user experience is second to none too. It's very easy to do these trades you want to do. So it looks to me it's it's 40% cheaper as far as the stock multiple goes to Coinbase, growing faster than Coinbase, uh, cheaper to trade than Coinbase. So all those things, it seems like a nice alternative and a levered way to play Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin goes up 100%, this stock, they'll make more money because their business is kind of like torqued up to the price of Bitcoin. They go up, you know, two to three times. Same for a um, a Coinbase, something like that. So it's if you believe in crypto and Bitcoin, this is an interesting way to kind of have more upside on top of just buying the coin. And then the next one is Galaxy Digital. This is the runner up. They are trying to be your one-stop shop for everything investment banking related to crypto. So they do trading. They'll help you trade crypto. They trade on their own account to try to make money. They do investment banking. That's just helping companies raise money and buy and sell other companies. They also do their own mining of crypto and they raise money for miners who want to buy machines. So they do it all. Uh, this one, again, is a levered play on Bitcoin because they own a lot of Bitcoin. So you've seen in the last year with the price of Bitcoin going up, the value of Galaxy of what they hold has gone up quite a bit. If you take all that out, the actual investment banking part of the company is not yet profitable, but they're playing the long game. They're first to crypto. They're, they want to be the Goldman Sachs of crypto, basically. So that's an interesting one, again, that goes up a lot more than Bitcoin. Also, Bitcoin's falling. It falls a lot more. And then number three is Fortress uh, Fortress Blockchain, I believe it's called. The ticker is F-O-R-T. 
they're just a pure miner. So the goal is you want to mine as much Bitcoin as possible and then you sell it for a profit. That's the goal. But with these guys, they just said they're going to throw out 15 million Canadian to buy a bunch of machines. Basically to mine crypto, it's like fancy video cards and it performs all these calculations and then you mine your Bitcoin. The problem is as more people mine Bitcoin, the challenge of mining one goes up. So if you buy a machine that can mine one Bitcoin a day, that's just today. Tomorrow it might mine 0.98 of a Bitcoin. So over time, you're not mining as much and then your profits go down, but your costs are all the same because you still have to pay the same for electricity. So I ran all the math. This is what Grizzle's for. We do all the hard work so you don't have to. And they're putting in 15 million. At the end of three years, when those machines are basically obsolete, you're going to play video games on them. That's about it. They're going to make maybe 10 million Canadian. Then you have your electricity costs. You have to pay your employees. They're taking home like 2 million Canadian on that. So you put in 15, you get back two. That's a bad investment. So for them to make that worth it, you need Bitcoin to go up in price a lot. I don't want to invest in Bitcoin companies that need the price to go up a lot because there's lots of other opportunities that don't need Bitcoin to go up. It can just be flat and they'll make more money. Voyager Digital, for example, or Galaxy. If Bitcoin stays at 50,000, they're going to make more money than they made last year, a lot more. So that one, once I saw that's what they're doing, I said, I don't really know what their game plan is. Uh, If they need Bitcoin to hit 270,000 and it's at 50,000 today, I don't want to take that bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes tons sense, man. It's it's a yeah, like and those other businesses seem more dynamic. Yeah, they they have more ways to win. This is pretty one note. I mean, you, you're buying some machines, you're hoping your machines mine more Bitcoin than someone else's. It was um, you know, you know what came out of our sto- uh, our uh, stock safari huddle on uh, on crypto is uh, one thing it, it, we're talking about the stocks that trade on on um, you know on on stock exchanges. Uh, but one thing it, that's very worthwhile for us to do in a future stock safari is to actually cover the different coins, Scott, and some of, of interest. So uh, keep uh, keep an eye out for that, and uh, you know subscribe subscribe to the safari. Uh, we're always on the hunt, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I recommend you guys check out Voyager Digital because they do some interesting stuff where they'll pay you interest on your coins too. This is a part of the crypto market that's very interesting. There's risk to that too, but I, I, I it would be cool to uh, look into it if, if you're interested in that sort of thing. They're paying like 6 to 9% interest on coins. What do you get if you buy a bond? Nothing. <laughs> Less yeah, than 1%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I'm curious, yeah. No, for sure. Uh, Jam-packed, Scott, that, as usual. Um, we're, we'll be back at it next week. Uh, this was episode 11, man. Uh, wonderful to have YCharts uh, sponsor this uh, trip to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> hope, hope you guys enjoyed this trip to the moon with us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we covered a lot, but uh, you know, during the week, we're out there. We're on social. We're on YouTube. You can check us out. Come hang out. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.